0: Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: Well, we're going to shift gears and jump into the scriptures, but not shift gears in a way where we're doing something different. We're just changing the element of worship um, that we get to participate in this morning. And so we want to, we want to listen uh, to how the Lord speaks to us. We've been in this series called Flickering Lampstands. I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to start off with a story, um, a little bit of a story. So I, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Some of you know that we have a dog at home. I was the kind of guy that never wanted a dog, ever. And I always felt the pressure to get, the, to get a dog, first from my son, and then as my daughter got older, I got the pressure from my daughter, and then as my wife leaned into the whole thing periodically from my wife, and then from all the dog lovers in our lives, all the pressure was mounting. Then seven or eight years ago, the pressure mounted in this perfect storm where my son and daughter and wife, and I think the canine do- gods among us, uh, just kind of like worked against that, and I caved. And we got a dog. And it's been great ever since. Her name is Jazz. We love her. It's awesome. But man, that that moment of pressure from all sides... When you're like everybody is like telling you to do this or do that or whatever, and getting a dog is really not a big deal or that bad of a thing. It's a great thing. But sometimes you have felt the pressure from all sides in other parts of your life. Sometimes you've felt the pressure from all sides in negative things, not positive things like dogs, in negative things that are extremely hard. Sometimes it's cultural pressure and it feels like a perfect storm. Or sometimes it's political pressure. Sometimes it's ideological pressures. Sometimes it's financial pressures, and you feel. The mounting pressure, and it feels like it's just a weight on top of you, and you're struggling because you're afraid to cave. And I want you to keep this picture in mind of pressures mounting around you as we explore another church in this series. Um, another church who received a letter from the Apostle John in the first century. We're, uh, as I told you, in a series called uh, Flickering Lampstands, and uh, it's this idea, as we get from Revelation chapter 1 to 3, where John sees a vision, and God gives him this vision, and he sees these seven lampstands, which represent the seven churches that are going to receive this letter, and Jesus, who who is among them, and so today we get to learn about this other church. It's called the Church in Smyrna. Back then they didn't give churches names. There was no West Side or La Chapelle or I don't know. Think of a name of a church, and it was just like the Church in DDO. You know, like that. That's kind of what it was. And and Smyrna was a region of the Asian of the Asia, of Asia Minor at the time, and Smyrna was a like a really reputable place. It was known as the crown of Asia. Sometimes it was called the flower of Asia. It had a significant seaport and a lot of economic opportunity. It also had an amphitheater and a place for people to gather in large numbers. And it's a city that's still around today in modern Turkey called Izmir. Now, the church in Smyrna felt mounting pressure from multiple sources around them, two particular which we'll get into. And that's partly why we called this series Flickering Lampstands, because each church has a light, but sometimes it feels dim or flickering or not as strong as it can be. And so here's this word to this church in this area called Smyrna in the first century Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to open to it or follow along or listen. And each of these churches get a word from Jesus. And here's the word from the, for this church. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have affliction. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. For whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. Let's just pray. God, again, we pause because we so desperately need the voice of your spirit in our lives and um, we embrace and welcome and receive um, this ancient word as a fresh word to us today as you want to speak it. In your name we pray, amen. Here's these words from Jesus again to this church. I love speaking to people. This is great, you know? I mean, it's like, I mean, I love speaking. I'm good with speaking to the camera, and I feel, every, you know, I kind of feel that we're all together, but this is really cool. Uh, sorry, I just had this wonderful moment. So, um, so here, here's Jesus, right? It's a word to this church, to this group of people in the city called Smyrna, and same thing to Ephesus and to other churches. He says these words, I know this about you, or I know something about you. Jesus is one who walks among the lampstands, we learn in Revelation chapter 1, and he walks among the churches. He knows them intimately, deeply. Uh, He understands their pain, their successes, their struggles, their feelings, their pressures. And to this particular church, unlike Ephesus, there's no correction He doesn't say that I have anything against you like he did to Ephesus. In fact, in this letter, he has more like solidarity with this church, encouragement for this church, and still some kind of a calling or a challenge to them, but no correction. So what does he know about Smyrna? What does he know about these people? Well, he knows that they are afflicted. Two times he writes to them. Two times he uses this word affliction. It's the Greek word thlipsis. Say that seven times. Thlipsis. It's like a Dr. Seuss book or something, right? Anyways, that word is the word that's often translated in the New Testament as tribulation. And when we read that word tribulation, it's this word. But here, it's translated affliction. It really means pressure. And in this context, it feels like crushing pressure. And so their pressure, their affliction included what we just read, poverty, slander, those kinds of things. But what was the source of their affliction? It was two things. It was political and it was religious. Now, when we looked at Ephesus last week, part of their, their issue that Jesus addressed to them was an internal struggle. They were doing great as a church, but they abandoned love they had at first. It was an internal struggle that they were fighting. They were losing their love. Here, it's an external struggle with a political source and a religious source. The political source is Rome. Smyrna was in Asia Minor, and it was under the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire had control or uh, oversight of many, many regions. It was quite vast. And politically, Rome demanded allegiance from their cities and a, a, a demanded allegiance from their citizens. In fact, so much so that they would not only like, physically or in their life, but even verbally they were called to worship the emperor as God. They would have to go to the temple for ceremonies or festivals. Often, one of the, the ceremonies was they would take a pinch of incense, throw it in the altar, and say, Caesar is God. That was part of their, their routine. You could do anything you wanted as a citizen in business. You could do anything you wanted as, as a family, in the arts, culturally. Uh, you can start a business. You could, you could you know, uh, you know, have, there was a diversity of culture, as long as you honored and worshiped the empire and the emperor. That was the only thing. But Christians, Christ followers, this small little blip in the middle of this big sea, metaphorically, Christians believe that God's kingdom broke into the world. That God's son, Jesus, came and entered the world and announced his kingdom. God's kingdom was breaking in. And in that breaking in the world, in that announcement, was the proclamation that Jesus, God's son, is Lord and king over creation and that was problematic for rome because it wasn't caesar but jesus who christians referred to as the son of god so there was political pressure among these christians in smyrna but there was also religious pressure from for these christians there was groups of jews in this area which wasn't uncommon because jews were scattered all over the place and judaism and christianity were both portable traditions, portable meaning they could be anywhere. You could be 10 Jews in a city and create a synagogue, and all of a sudden you were a group of Jews in a city, and that was enough to start a synagogue, and then it would grow. So there was uh, obviously synagogues in this area, and there was a group of Jews in this area, and this, the Jews were the one group that had exception, or at least one of the groups that had an exception from the empire of honoring the emperor in this way. They didn't have to go to the festivals and the ceremonies, and pinch the incense, and call Caesar God. Somehow, they got this wild deal, an accommodation from the Senate, that they didn't have to do this. Somehow, Rome tolerated them. But now there's these Christians on the scene. There's these people with no, not as much history as the Jews. In fact, they were looked on sometimes from the Jews as like a sect of Judaism. A lot of Jews were becoming Christians in the first hundred years of, of Christianity. And so as they look at these Christians who don't have this accommodation from the Senate, who don't have this exception, but they're still not worshiping Caesar as God, that's freaking them out that's like thinking, well, this is not fair. And it puts their Jewish exemption at risk because if there's a group that doesn't have the exemption that is not doing this, but we have the exemption, then Rome might look and say, well, this is crazy. I'm giving no one an exemption. And so they got nervous. And it put them at risk. And the Jews didn't like the Christians. There's other reasons maybe, but this was one reason. And so they were outing them to Rome. They're like tattletaling on them. Hey, these guys are not doing that. They're not going to, you know, they, they, don't, they never touch the incest. They mummer the word. They don't, I tell you, they're not worshiping Caesar as God. And so they're being told on. So Jesus says, like, you know, there's these people who say they're Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's like, oh, that's a pretty big title, label for a group of people from Jesus. This isn't like some anti-Semitic phrase. This is Jesus uh, discerning and, and, and identifying, calling out this, this group of Jews who say they're Jewish, but they're turning on Christians. Basically, it's as though Satan is using them as an agent against the church. And Jesus wants them to recognize You're being used by Satan to hurt God's people. So Satan is using them to hurt Christians. What we know in the New Testament and throughout the Scriptures is that Satan is often called the accuser. And here, who's accusing the Christians but this small group of Jews in Smyrna? So they're accusing Christians. They're almost doing Satan's bidding and they're accomplices with Satan and his mission. Satan doesn't always just target Christians. He targets Jesus, but he knows that he can't get to Jesus, so the aftermath is Christians. And the result is affliction under Rome. Twice the word comes up in this letter to this church, that they're afflicted. They're under this crushing pressure, this sense of tribulation, this word that comes up later in in Revelation. And one of the results of their affliction, one of the results of this, the the political and religious pressure and the corner that they're in is their economic status. They are now becoming poor. They are experiencing poverty as Christians. Now this is really odd in Smyrna because Smyrna had an amazing seaport and Smyrna had an amazing uh, economy and it was bustling and growing and there was all the opportunity in the empire in Smyrna to grow your wealth, to start a business, to sell at the market, to do what you wanted to do. And so there was much opportunity for economic progress. But these Christians were robbed of that because they couldn't give full allegiance to Rome. There was this phrase that was often said in the Roman Empire or asked to be said, and it was Rome first in all things. Rome first in all things. Now, we're far removed from that ancient time, but we see this in our world. We see this in nations. We see it today. What's going on in another part of the world? It's like my needs, my desires, my progress first. Who cares what happens to everybody else? We can often say that as Canadians. We've often heard it as Americans. Not that we're Americans, but from Americans. Rome first in all things. And whenever those words are more important to us than the Lord we follow, we run into conflict, contrast. And here are these Christians. We're poor in a wealthy city. We're poor in economic opportunity. My brother Rick had gone to... um, pakistan several years ago with a christian organization and they were serving in a university there and uh, he met this small group of christians that um, were attending this university in pakistan and the population of that school was like 98 percent muslim which is fine that's part of the world and so they got to meet these christians and and they asked the christians what are some of the things you feel experience here as christ followers and one of the things they mentioned they said you know what's really tough you know, they had, they had love for, for um, their Muslim brothers and sisters, in a sense those who were part of the student body. But they said, you know what's really tough? We get an A+, plus, and my friend, who's not a Christian, is a Muslim, gets a, a C or a B, and we still lose the job. We still don't get the opportunity. And it was that little glimpse, that little moment, for my brother Rick to see inside the world of what it means to be a Christian, small, in a big pond, where there's no your opportunity is taken from you, we know that this has often happened because of people's race or social status, and it's always horrible. Here for this, this church in Smyrna, they were poor in a wealthy city. So here we have Satan who's using politics and religion to afflict pressure on the church. In fact, later one day we'll, when we get to our next one of our future mini series in Revelation, we're going to see that that. There's a a metaphor, an image of a dragon in Revelation 12-14 to like the Satan who is using two beasts to wage war against the saints. And often those two beasts, one is he uses religion and one he uses politics. And Smyrna is feeling that in this season of affliction. And here's one of the hardest words from Jesus. Here's one of the hardest words from Jesus. There's more suffering on the way at least for a little while. Wouldn't that really suck right now this morning if Jesus showed up right now and said, I know what the last 18 months have been for you, but let me tell you, there's a little bit more suffering on the way. Wouldn't that be horrible? Come on, let's be honest. Wouldn't that be horrible? That would be horrible. And that's what this church is hearing. We're like, what? What? We've already, we're already, like you, you acknowledge Jesus, we're in affliction, we're under pressure, we're even poor in a rich city where we could be doing better financially, but because of our faith we're not, there's slander against us, there's more suffering on the way. Jesus says to them, do not fear what you are about to suffer. So there's more suffering coming. And then he says, beware, the devil is about to throw you into prison. It's more suffering But there are these words, do not fear and be faithful. It says in the middle of verse 10, be faithful until death. Do not fear. You're about to suffer, but do not fear and be faithful. It's almost as like right in the middle of their current and future suffering, Jesus is calling them to be faithful without fear. To be faithful without fear. And to be faithful means to continue being a witness for Christ and God's kingdom right where they are in that town or city of Smyrna. Jesus was called a faithful witness by John in Revelation 1. When he talks about God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he he refers to Jesus as the faithful witness. Jesus who went to the cross, Jesus who fulfilled God's will, Jesus who was faithful in his, in his purpose, Jesus who in his faithfulness won our salvation and hope and resurrection and eternity. Jesus, in his faithfulness, secured our forgiveness. Jesus was a faithful witness to God's kingdom. And even John was a faithful witness to to God's kingdom. John literally says in in Revelation 1, he says, "I'm I'm, I'm in the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. So John is a faithful witness. So when this church hears this word from Jesus, the faithful witness, transcribed by John, the faithful witness, that they would remain being faithful in their witness. That's a strong word. And they're called to be witnesses. That, that word witness, the, the original word is more like martyr, right? And today, when we say the word martyr, we think the worst, we think death. But the word witness, when Acts, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when, when Jesus tells the disciples, you will be empowered to be my witnesses, he didn't say you're going to be empowered to die. He meant you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses, to be a reflection of my kingdom, to alert the world to who I am and what my kingdom is about. Now, over the course of 10 years and then 50 and 100 years and two centuries and three centuries, the first church in the first 300 years experienced a lot of suffering because of their witness. So the word martyr got associated with death. They became a martyr. Their witness often led to struggle and sometimes death. Faithfulness for you or me, if you were faithful to be present here today or faithful to live out your faith or faithful to alert your neighbors to the kingdom of God tomorrow morning when you're on your walk, it will very unlikely lead to your demise. Not in our culture. But the church was known in the first They knew suffering in the first 300 years because of their witness. Jesus calls them to be faithful. And I think what's happening here is Jesus is, in in a sense, saying, I might not remove your suffering, but I promise that you'll get through it. might not remove your suffering, but I promise to get through it. And here's how they get through it. There's a few things. First is they get through it because there's purpose to it. They are witnesses to, be, to alert the world around them to God's kingdom. And they've come to know the goodness of God and they've come to know the grace of Jesus and they've come to know the power of the Holy Spirit. And for them, it's worth it. Like Paul said in Acts where he says, if I, if I know nothing, I, I want my life to be given over to be a testimony, to be a witness so that the world will know who Jesus is. And this, these Christians, Jesus is reminding them as John... Transcribes this and gives it to them that they have a purpose, their suffering has a purpose. Later on in Revelation, when we hit Revelation 13 one day, the two witnesses are actually killed, but their suffering becomes a witness to the world of the kingdom of God. So here, this early church, they're going to end up reading the rest of, hearing the rest of John's letter. Their suffering will alert the world around them of God's kingdom. That sounds so counterproductive, but somehow in our struggle and in our suffering, the world comes to know who Jesus is. And, and now there were some themes in the Old Testament, right, where people would tease a theme like, it, like if someone was faithful or righteous, they'd be successful. Or look at King David and Solomon, how wealthy they were. Abraham was faithful. And, you know, you hear some prosperity teacher saying, like, be like Abraham. He owned tribes and cows and cattle. And he was faithful, and look how prosperous he was. And they pull this theme from the Old Testament as if, like, when you're righteous, you'll be rich and famous. But Jesus comes on the scene, and we listened to it, we heard it today, right? The transfiguration listen to my son. Moses and Elijah are here, but now you listen to my son. Jesus comes on the scene, preaches the Sermon on the Mount. And says, the kingdom of God is for you. And what, what are some of the words he says? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are those who are persecuted on account of my name. Blessed are those who love their enemies. There's purpose. There, there's, Jesus is giving them purpose in the middle of this. That's how they're going to get through. They're going to get through also because he says it's, it's like a test. He says, you know, the devil is about to throw you into prison so that you may be tested and you're like, I don't like that word. I that's not a positive word. It's no no it's no positive vibes here when I hear that word. But Jesus says you're going to be tested and because in our testing testing forms us and transforms us. And I bet you that that anybody here today who has grown from a struggle will look back to that struggle and likely say, "I I will not want to replace that struggle with success because I learned something from that. I learned something from that. I remember hearing this from a non-Christian. Well, I don't even know if he's a Christian. I don't think he is, but Michael J. Fox, you know, he's in like the Back to the Future movies, right? He said about his Parkinson's disease, he he looked back 10, 15 years, he's like, I would not give up Parkinson's disease for everything I learned in the last 10 or 12 years in that kind of suffering, not this, in that kind of suffering. I sat in the north part of Thailand several years ago. I think it was eight years ago. And I and we got together, a few Canadian um, church leaders, and we were able to sit with Christian leaders from Thailand and Laos across the the Mayan River, across the river to Laos where Christianity's restricted and these people came over and we spent four or five days with them and I never forget, I never forget like hearing their stories and, 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 and seeing them gather together in a circle and open up the scriptures and, and hearing how you know their moped was destroyed by someone in their city or their economic opportunity was robbed of them or uh, one of their family members was, was hurt and it was all tied to their mission to their faith. Remember, I remember hearing the leader, the, the, the Christian leader in Laos describe how he encountered Christ in prison and how Christ faithfully kept him through that. And I sat there thinking, I have no clue how that has formed you or transformed you, but I see something so beautiful and special in you. And I realized I don't even have that kind of experience but I saw it in them and I realized that test was something significant. And Jesus says, your test is part of the purpose here. What's going to get you through? But Jesus also promises them something good. He says, this is limited. He says, for 10 days. It's not literal 10 days, but it's like, listen, this will be a while. This will be a short season. Then it'll be over. So Jesus says, listen, I'm I'm in control here. This will not last forever. Now, either that meant for some, forever meant like a short season, um, or forever meant this is not going to last into eternity because some of them will have died for their faith, but they will experience life everlasting with Christ. But it's limited. And here's the last thing, and this is the best part, and this is what we're going to wrap up with, is Jesus promises them life. This is how they get through it. Jesus promises them life. In this letter, particularly, because every letter in Revelation to the churches, there's a line from Revelation chapter 1 that gets repeated of who Jesus is. This letter to Smyrna, the line that's repeated from chapter 1 is that Jesus is the first and the last, he's the one who was dead and came to life. So the one who's writing to them, the one who's encouraging them, the one who's calling them to be faithful, he knows death, he knows tragedy, he knows affliction, but he also knows the other side of it, which is life. And he knows resurrection. Jesus went through death, overcame death, and was alive. Jesus was the first fruits of resurrection, which every person who follows Jesus will receive. The scripture says that one day when Jesus appears, we will be like him, which is this promise that we will also experience resurrection. So the book end, the top bookend of this letter, Jesus says, hey, the first and the last, who was dead and now is alive, that's the guy who's speaking to you. But then later, as he closes this short little letter to them, in verse 10, he says, trust me, here's the thing. When, as you get through this, as you get through this, you be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That sounds like that doesn't make sense. We're going we're to die and we're going to live? But Jesus says, you be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. That's not like a reward, like you're going to get a medal. That's like the crown is life. The life that you're going to receive, the promise of new creation, the promise of resurrection is your crown. Be faithful till death and you will receive a crown of life. Resurrection is for you. New creation is for you. And as they read and listen to whoever's reading this letter in their church community and they read to the end of Revelation and they read 21, 22, they're like, oh my gosh, this is the crown of life. This is it. This is what the whole story points towards. In verse 11 he says this, and I don't want to take time on it, but it's like one of those things where... People will probably walk away and say, like, what is that? In verse 11 he says, let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. And, and it, as we read through the Scriptures, we have this um, sense that, yes, people die physically. That's the first death. We all will die physically. That's the body death. But then there's the personality death, the spirit and soul, or the the, the death that separates us from God. And that is part of, of God's judgment. But here's what I, I love what Jesus says here. He says, You conquer to the end, and you will not be harmed by the second death. You will not experience separation from God. Now we can get into like a whole theological discussion of what exactly that means and and and, and you know the implications of that. But this is Jesus' promise to them. Conquer till the end and you will not be harmed by the second death. You will not be harmed by separation from God. There was a great preacher in L.A. His name was E.V. Hill and he used to have this great line that he used to repeat often. He used to say, you're born once and you die twice. But if you're born twice, you die once. You get it? Maybe? Kinda? If you're born once, you die twice, but if you're born twice, you die once. In other words, if you're born a second time in Christ by the work of the Holy Spirit, responding to faith in Jesus, you only die once. You're never separated from Christ. Romans eight tells us that, that you will never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You're born twice, you only die once. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. And so here's my encouragement to us. us. What do you call to be faithful through in this season? Maybe as a teenager, it's a struggle to even fathom being a person of faith in your high school or in your circle of friends. Maybe as a young adult, going through like deciding your vocation and relationship issues, and 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 the culture around us, it's like how how do I follow Jesus faithfully in the middle of this pressure? Maybe as uh, someone who is a parent or a spouse. And you're trying to parent in this season. You're trying to be a, a spouse in this season. And, and you want to do that in a way that honors Jesus. And sometimes the pressure of parenting or, or, or the worry, the anxiety of how am I helping my kids you know, get through life. And all the challenges. Or maybe someone uh, who is single either for a season or as a vocation. The, the struggles of what that might look like as a Christ follower. Maybe it's even how we run our business or finances or investments. And we are also look back and say, hey, wait a second. How... What's the pressure around me in our culture to do this or this or this with my finances or to, to do this and make more with it or whatever? And we have to stop and say, is there a way that I might, not, I might make less, but following Jesus is better? And all these questions, and I just want to encourage you to be faithful in this season, to be faithful in this season, to be a faithful witness in this season, and to let this church, Smyrna, remind you of the struggle, but also remind you of the promise Remind you of the struggle and remind you of the promise. Now, strange thing is that there's like other cities in the world that they called Smyrna. There's one in Delaware on the east coast of the States. And uh, if you get off the highway there, you'd likely get off Smyrna either because you live there, because why would you go to Smyrna, uh, or because there's a beach a few miles away and that's the east coast. So that's why you get off the highway. But as you get off the highway in Smyrna, what you would notice is that there's a church. And the church is called the Church of Polycarp or St. Polycarp. Now you might like say, well, who's Polycarp? Well, Polycarp was around when John wrote his letter to, or wrote Revelation, and Smyrna read it. Polycarp was about 30 years old when John penned these words. Polycarp would have known who John was because John was known. He was the apostle. He was the the pastor. And here's Polycarp, who, 30 years old, is listening to these words and listening to all of Revelation, and he's following Jesus in that time, and he's hearing the words of, of being faithful and hearing the words of don't fear when you suffer and hearing the words you will suffer some more. And he's hearing all this, and he's processing this as a Christ follower in his 30s. He goes through that wave of suffering and persecution that that church would experience that Jesus told them it would. He later becomes the pastor of this church. He becomes the pastor in Smyrna. He becomes the bishop of Smyrna. And he spends another 50 years serving Christ. And there's maybe one or more waves of persecution, but definitely a wave of persecution that's significant comes when he's in his 80s. He's pastoring this church. He's 86 years old. He's called or dragged into the arena where crowds would gather, not to watch a sporting event, but to watch Christians be beat up or burned. And that's Bishop Polycarp at 86, being dragged into the arena. And he's told and commanded to curse Christ. And Polycarp says, 86 years I've served him. And he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And they pushed him again swear by Caesar. And these were part of his last words. He simply said, I am a Christian. That's what he said in the arena with a whole bunch of people watching him. And I think that Polycarp heard the words of Jesus in his 30s be faithful until death i know it's hard for us to associate with that fully in our culture but here's polycarp hearing these words in his 30s be faithful until death he made it through at least one wave of persecution but then he ended up dying in another wave of persecution at 86 he was not spared or spared from the martyr's death but but he was faithful and he conquered He didn't fight. He conquered. He was victorious. He was faithful till the end. And he held on so deeply to that promise from the one who was dead and is now alive. From the one who says, conquer, you will receive the crown of life. Conquer, you will not be harmed by the second death. And then I wonder, why would a bunch of people name a town on the east coast in Delaware, Smyrna, and then erect a church in the name of Polycarp. Because if you and I go there today, we're probably going to go to the beach. And we're going to pass by that church with that name, with that city. And we're like, why would they name it that? And I have a sense that this is what we need in our our part of the world. What we need in our own lives, we need symbols, we need memory, we need a callback to remember, even if it's on your route to the beach, I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that on the route to the beach, we need to remember there was a church in Smyrna in the, se- in the first century. There was a bishop named Polycarp in, this, in that era. He was faithful till death. We need these things to remind us, to, re- to help us remember and read these letters properly and not just read them in our own comfort, in our own situation, in our own opportunity. We need, these, we need cities called Smyrna and churches called Polycarp because we can so easily forget the kind of suffering that so many Christians have walked through over the centuries. And we're called to be faithful. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to, to follow Christ. And we're also given the promise. Let's pray. Even as we pray um, this morning, I just want to offer this invitation to the life that Jesus gives us that Jesus promises us you might be here today and this was not the most um, overly positive Christian message you heard (laughs) if you're just exploring Christian faith but the beauty of it is how deeply rooted these people were and they experienced life in and through Christ that was impossible in the sources around them. And I know that our hearts long for that. I know that even in the middle of comfort, in the middle of success, in the middle of opportunity, in the middle of financial gain, many hearts remain empty and long for true hope, true life, in Christ, and if that 's you, I just encourage you to press in and make a step of faith in Jesus with us today our heavenly father we we just come very humbly and um, yeah humbly before you and as as we 're reminded from this church, the struggles they were facing, but we also um are so grateful for the reminder of hope and life and purpose. We serve a great God whose Son is our King and Savior, Jesus, who was dead and is now alive, and who promises us the crown of life. May we, Lord, be ones who depend on, who have our lives sourced in, that life the life of your kingdom promised to us and may we be lord your faithful witnesses may we be lampstands in our culture in our city may we be ones who alert our friends and neighbors around us to the kingdom of god we pray this in jesus name amen amen god's good Hey, before you leave, we want to share a little bit of news with you, so I'm going to have Kelly come up and just share something really fun for youth happening this week, and then I will wrap it up. So go for it, Kelly. Good to see you. Good to see you as well.
2: Well, Hey, <laughs> good to see everyone here as well. I'm happy to be here with people, so that's great. Uh, so for a lot of students, it's, uh, this coming week is March break, so I wanted to uh, announce a couple of things that are coming up uh, this week. Uh, pretty excited because uh, these will actually be first a uh, couple of our first activities in person. So on uh, Monday, we're going to be uh, doing a laser tag and trampoline. Um, so that's going to be around 2 o'clock at Sky Tag, which is on Brunswick down the street. But you can look on our uh, Instagram account for all the information. And Wednesday, we're going to be doing some other activities on the youth room. We're going to be doing some reno- well, renovation, I guess, painting the walls, uh, doing some, uh, uh, some changes to vamp up our, uh, our youth room. And in the evening, we'll have a uh, movie night. And then Saturday, we're doing uh, tobogganing. Hopefully, the weather this time will be good for uh tobogganing because i know we've scheduled it in the past and we had to cancel it so yeah so if you want more information i'll be in the lobby and if it's your first time if you're new here come see me i'll be uh, happy to uh to meet you
1: and tell you more about our youth ministry thank you oh maybe oh there i go Uh, Just just quick news. So, as I mentioned this Wednesday, we want to just dedicate this Wednesday as the start of Lent to um, praying for peace in our world. And what a Crazy moment in history that we're actually called to lament, and so we want to do that this Wednesday together. The next Wednesday we're having an in-person prayer time. There'll be a lot of space here, uh, and we'll uh, spend about an hour together. We want to just craft and curate an evening of prayer here on March 9th on Wednesday. That's happening here, and then just a look ahead for those of you who call Westside home. Uh, we have a vision and budget night on March 29th. That's a Tuesday evening. We'll announce if it's Zoom or live, um, but just keep that date uh, available. That's really really important. And hey, if you've come today and um, you were looking to give or donate, we encourage you to do that. You can easily do that on our website, but being here live, you can also do it in the offering box. And those of you who are giving already regularly, recurring, or deciding already through the internet this morning—that uh, is just wonderful. We thank you for that, and that really helps us get into this, continue into this season with uh, so many great things. We want to see the Lord uh, doing us. So, so let's, um, yeah, let's just be grateful for that. And I'm going to ask you to stand as we close, and we're going to. Re- Read this prayer together as we close. We're going to end off in prayer, so let's read it all together. I'd love to hear your voices as we read it. Okay, and I'll pull my mic a little further away as we read it together. So let's do this. Eternal God, you reveal to the disciples the everlasting glory of Jesus Christ. Grant us who have not seen and yet believe the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we may boldly live the gospel and shine with your transforming glory as people changed and changing through the redeeming presence of our Savior. Amen. God bless you, everyone. Have a wonderful day. Stick around and say hi to some people in chat.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.